Hi, and welcome to the Bible Tribe. I'm Denise Pass with Seeing Deep Ministries, where we see deep in a shallow world and overcome the battles of the mind with the Word of God. This week in the Bible Tribe reading plan, we learn through the encounter with God and Abraham that we can't own what we are given by God. We can't own it. We can't enthrone it, making an idol out of it. But it is when what we own is sown for God's purposes that we are the most blessed. We do not own any blessing as if it is a right. We do not own anything God has given us. We are merely stewards. The story of Abraham and his son Isaac is central to this theme this week. Genesis 22.2 says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Each word is emphasized and builds on the previous words. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. What is difficult about this request is God forbids the sacrificing of children later in Scripture. We see this in Jeremiah 19.5. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal. Something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. This is also reiterated in Jeremiah 32.35. Child sacrifice was common as part of religions in the culture that Abraham came from. God's people would eventually fall into syncretic behavior, where they mixed their faith in the one true God with the other pagan religions surrounding them. And this included offering one's children as a sacrifice and even sexual prostitution as part of worship. The evil king Manasseh offered his own son as a sacrifice in 2 Kings 21.6, as well as King Ahaz in 2 Chronicles 28.1-4. But here at the beginning of God calling Abraham, God says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Abraham had been polytheistic, believing in many gods before Yahweh called him. But he knew differently now. Why would God ask him to do such a thing? Such a request was a test to see if Abraham would obey God and also a demonstration ultimately that God did not have Abraham carry it out as Yahweh refused such a sacrifice and provided a ram instead. I'm sure this request did not make sense to Abraham, yet he responded in faith in Genesis 22, verse 8, knowing the character of God, as Abraham told Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And at the end of the trial, Abraham knows that a righteous God would not do such a thing and is unlike any of the false gods who are no gods at all. This test proved that God is trustworthy and was also a test to see if Abraham would trust God's promises, even when it looked like an end to his promises. But something else about Genesis 22 verse 2 is intriguing. The word used for offer is the Hebrew word salak, meaning to ascend and also meaning sacrifice. This word is exceptionally rare, only used in this verse and in Psalm 139.8, meaning to ascend or go up. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. The more broadly used word for offer in the Hebrew is the term karav. The use of this word indicates a difference in this offering. The type of offering also indicates ascension, for a burnt offering literally means to ascend or go up in smoke. Hebrews 11, 17-19 indicates that Abraham reasoned there must be a resurrection. 
he would get his son back, a foreshadowing of what God would ultimately do through his son, Jesus Christ. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham received Isaac back from the dead in a manner that prefigured the resurrection of Christ. And so it is with Christ. Jesus truly dies as the sacrificial lamb in our place. And in so doing, God demonstrates again that he is the God who provides. In the death of Jesus, God provides for our deepest need, our need for forgiveness and salvation. Ultimately, Abraham learned and showed us that following God would require complete trust and laying down our own ideas of how we think God should do things. It will require sacrifice, though not in the way the world does. And God blessed him for his obedience, as it says in Genesis 22:16. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Friends, you and me, we're a direct result of Abraham passing the test all those years ago on Mount Moriah. We've been blessed because Abraham dared to trust God when he was tested. Can we do the same? It will require genuine faith in the face of what seems like God has sometimes forgotten us. But we must know his character. It will require us loving God more than the blessings he gives us and trusting him when he takes those blessings away. Abraham could not own the blessings God gave him and God did not want him to enthrone those blessings, making an idol out of his own son or any blessing. But when Abraham's blessings were sown for God's purposes, Abraham could not be more blessed. It is when we hold our palms open with God's blessings that we are the most fruitful. As it says in Genesis 22:1, the point of this lesson was a testing of Abraham. Do you ever wonder why God tests us? There are many different tests that we will encounter in this life as we grapple with life's harsh realities and a good, faithful God who does keep his promises. Job and the author of Ecclesiastes this week did not appreciate God's testing, and I don't think we do either, right? But what is this testing? God's intentions were not to torture Abraham. One commentary says that God tests Abraham in the same way that he put Adam to the test, by placing him in a situation where he had to trust God to provide and to have his best interests in mind. God puts Abraham in a situation where it is difficult to believe that these things are true and asks Abraham to believe him and obey him. How do we do with tests? Do we resent them? Doubt God's character when they arise? Tests reveal a lot about our relationship with God, don't they? Perhaps we want the assurance of salvation from God, but we kind of want him to not mess with our blessings. At the heart of this is our proneness to make anything we are given into an idol. But we can't own it. 
we can't enthrone what God has given, and we have to hold his blessings in our hands and offer them back to him, sown for his glory, not ours. Abraham showed us how to love God, not for what he can give us or do for us, but because he is love personified and he can be trusted. Yes, even in suffering and trials. Abraham demonstrated that he loved God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. He did not just say he did. He demonstrated that he loved God more than he loved anything or anyone, and he proved that he was not in a relationship with God for what God would give him or what he would get out of it. Rather, he was in a relationship with God because he loved God. Our culture is mad at God because people want things their way. We want what we think we are entitled to, and then we idolize it. God wants to set us free from that. His tests always have a purpose of delivering us from lesser loves and prying our hands off things to be free from worshiping the creation, which always leaves us lacking. We can't own it, friends, for we would seek to enthrone it. But when what we have been given is sown, God blesses it many times over. He's glorified and our hearts are filled with joy. Abraham's trust in God is his testing. In his testing proved what is true. God is for us and he does have our good constantly in mind. We know this because of the cross of Jesus. No matter what else God says to us or demands of us, no matter what else happens to us, God loves us. We know this beyond a shadow of a doubt because he took his only son, the son of his love, and gave him up to death for us. This is where the crunch comes to all of us who are Christian, for God tests us even today. He does not tempt us as Satan does so that we might fail. Rather, God tests us so that our faith might prove genuine. Testing happens when we face situations that reveal our faith and devotion. These tests strengthen our faith and mature our character and draw us near to God. God tests us for our good, never to harm us. In James 2:22, Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did. After a test, God knows if we are ready for the blessings that he's about to unleash upon us. I think about my children and how when they were little and they really wanted something, I needed to be careful and how I prepared their hearts for whatever it was. For that thing they own could own them. Another commentary put it this way. The Lord requires Abraham to relinquish the future by offering Isaac as a sacrifice. Similar to Job's trial, the patriarch chooses the giver over the gift, relying on the Lord to make good on his promise. Do we choose the giver over the gift? Oh, this heart work is hard work, isn't it? But how much we need to get this. After Abraham's lesson in learning to wholeheartedly trust God, even when it seems God is going away from what he said, Isaiah teaches us to look to the future promises, not the landscape of suffering around us. In looking to God's promises in Isaiah this week, we dare to hope in what God has said in the face of life's chaos abounding around us. In Isaiah 35:10 it says, "And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away." And Isaiah 33:24 says, "And no inhabitant will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity." No sickness, no sorrow, no sighing. That is our future. Do you believe that? 
Life's testings can chip away at our belief. Unbelief clouds our vision as we struggle with the physical reality to hurry and align with our spiritual reality. The psalmist this week teaches us that when God does not do things our way, we need to respond by faith. Psalm 11 verses 1 through 4 says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The righteous can remember that God is just and righteous, as it says in Psalm 11:7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The righteous can remember that God provides safety in Psalm 12, verse 5, and that the Lord's words are utterly reliable in Psalm 12, verse 6. Friends, there is injustice, pain, and loss in this world, but God will make every wrong right. God's timing and ways are perfect. When we have been influenced by the lies of this culture and we doubt God, who is the only one who is faithful, we can dare to believe like the faithful who have gone before us. To believe in God's words and promises, not our own thoughts or feelings. Job teaches us that our security is not in ourselves and having a perfect life, grasping onto what we think we own. Our hope is in a hope that supersedes all that. Job eleven eighteen reminds us, you will be secure because there is hope. Christ is our hope. Matthew reminds us that as religious leaders try to reason according to their legalism and what they think they own, disobeying the commandments for the sake of their tradition, as it says in Matthew 15, 18 through 20, their own words reveal where their faith really lies. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What are your words saying? Do we tear down others? Do we believe God? Do we slander or make false witness against them? Why? What is it we want? Are we believing what God has said or questioning him? We are ultimately consumers, friends. We want what we want when we want it. And nobody better take away what we think is ours, right? But when we change the narrative in our mind to no longer being Lord over our lives and trusting that God is good and being God and trustworthy, the words that flow out of our mouths are based on faith in God's plans, not ours. He's good at being God. We aren't. Listen, we can have everything we think we want in this life and miss God. We can have all the things and blessings and we would be pitied if we let those things own us. Paul brings it all to a head by reminding us how to overcome our desires when they become demanding. Romans 13 verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It is Jesus we need more than anything else. We were made to know and enjoy God. Our desires for this life matter to God and we matter to God, but we don't have to covet blessings for this life. For God has blessed us eternally with more than we could ever deserve. And when we are tested in this life, trusting God in life's tests happens when we trust God's character and let go of trying to own God's blessings. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to trust you 
when we are tested in this life, to know that you are good always and that your plans are good and your promises are yes and amen. Help us to let go of what we think we own and help us to sow it for your good purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Go with God, you guys.